Hey everybody, my name is Tyler. I'm the student pastor here at FCC. Welcome to our podcast. We're glad you joined us. Let's get into the word. thinking about that all day. Well, good morning. <laughs> uh, my name is Sansa. I'm the children's pastor here at FCC. Many of you know I usually forget that part, so yay for remembering. Um, that's who I am if you don't know me. But outside of that, um, knowing me doesn't really matter in this space. I hope that as we talk about some scriptures today and continue in our Like Jesus series, that you will then um, get to know God just a little bit more, that you will see him Um, a little bit clearer, that you would understand him a little bit better, but more than any of that, that you would know his love for you and that he continuously is drawing you regardless of where you may be presently, physically, mentally, emotionally right now today. And so um, it is my endeavor over the next few minutes, about 20 of them, uh, to be his mouthpiece and share some stuff with you. So sound like a good plan? All right, I hope you are ready. Um, When I get in this position, talking shortly is not my expertise. So I'm going to try not to go too fast. Um, And that's because we're going to pray. Holy Spirit, I just declare now that you you would continue to have your way. Um, The worship has been awesome. The time with you this morning so far has been awesome from our volunteer time to now. And I just pray that it would continue. And so I pray that every heart and ear would be open, God, but to what you would have to say. Um, Not my stories, not my prepared notes, not my wanderings and ponderings through your scriptures and verses, but God, that right now that um, everything else would fade and just what you deem is important, what you want to say, you would say to all of us, including me, in these next few moments. Um, We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we have been on this Like Jesus journey, and some of you who have been with us for a while now are probably like, yeah, for like almost two years. And it is, but let me help you. It is a lifetime endeavor to be like Jesus, so we're not apologizing um, that this part of our teaching series has been this long. Um, I hope you have been enjoying the in-depth look at how Jesus was with his disciples. And the emphasis in that has been We are called to not only be disciples, but also make disciples. So part of our growth and maturity in Christ is when we're then freely pouring out to others everything that Jesus has taught and poured in to us, most likely through someone else. Um, So with that, we're going to continue. Pastor Jerome was gracious and preached some two dynamic words these last couple weeks, and we're just continuing in that vein. And so if you are joining us for the first time today, don't worry if you don't know what he talked about or who he is. It's okay. Um, We're going to do a quick review, and you're going to get enough to know where we're going and what parts of those messages directly play into today. So two weeks ago, he spoke on on his sermon, and it was about being present. And he was talking about showing up and being present. So remembering that, like, it's eye contact. That was his example with his wife, that sometimes she just needs him to stop and look at her as they're discussing, not look at his phone, not look at the thing, not play with the baby because he's so adorable, but to give eye contact. And so he was admonishing us that day to be present in the moment. And we did some small group discussion. And one of the things that even came out is sometimes we can sit in this very room and not be present in this room. We're at home, we're on the the crock pot, we're on the the laundry we forgot to fold or the towels we're now rewashing for the 10th time because they never made the dryer, Um, whatever the case may be. But he was admonishing us that week to be present. And then we went on to week two 
where we talked about, and he continued talking about spending focused time or building relational equity. And so he'd spent a lot of time with this concept of relational equity and just looking at that. And um, he even said, like, if you need to, you need to schedule it. Like, it's not just going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to meet up with you. I'll get with you whenever. He's like, no, actually put it on a calendar, make time for it, make space for it. And again, he used his own daughter, Jariah, who, which they go and have burgers at, you know, John Taylor's favorite place, in and out <laughs> Um, but he's talked about, like, she knows that every Friday it's in and out day, that that's where they're going to go. But that opens the door to valuable and meaningful conversation. And so today we're talking about this concept as Jesus followers of going deeper and then caring enough to confront. And so I can only do this um, in two ways. I like to be simple and clear. And it might sound like, well, you're going to give me two sermons. We're going to see what God wants to say. But I promise they're linked. And take out whatever part you need, because <laughs> that's how good God is. And so one of the things from relational equity is this. This is the definition Jerome used, and I just want to continue with that. It says, is some, uh, relational equity is something that is carefully cultivated and preserved by those who desire to influence others. Now, I would change that just slightly, and he told you, and I'm going to tell you again, he just Googled it, and it's okay, but I'm going to alter Google just a little bit for our context and our space today. Um, it is preserved by those who desire to be disciples of Jesus. See, we cannot effectively be disciple makers. We are not even good disciples if we do not value relationship. Thank you for the one person who agreed. The rest of you, it's okay. You don't have to be mad at me. You can be mad at Jesus, and then he will make sure that eventually you will be okay with it. But the reality is, is that everything that is wrapped up in our beliefs, everything that we stand for as Jesus followers is relational. It starts with your relationship with God, and then it extends with your relationship with each other, period. God was about having a family, not having robots. He was not distant. He was not, well, let me set these actors up and get a good entertainment system. No, he wanted relationship. And so he set it up where we get to make the choice because he wasn't about slavery. And then he said, look, these are the commands. Love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Like Jesus himself said, that is what everything else hinges on, those two things. Love the Lord, love each other. Love God, love people. Israel made a really good song about it. <laughs> so that is, the, that is the context. And so without relationship, without rubbing elbows, without sitting shoulder to shoulder, cheek to cheek, in, in joy and in sadness, there really is no gospel. There really is no discipleship. Let me put it that way. Discipleship is not happening if you are not in relationship with people. It sounds good, but it's not happening. So um, we're going to build on this a little bit today, and we're going to look at what it means. So in relationships, it is very important for us not to just say surface. We have to go deeper. So I was thinking about this, and we try to share like personal stories or options or things in our lives that like, hey, when can I see this? And so there's actually a time frame in life where I would get the same text message every morning. It's a very nice text message. It's like, good morning, or it'd say, hi, what are you doing today? And my answer, because I'm kind of boring sometimes, would be work. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and the answer was usually work or sleeping. And I'd be like, okay. Now, that is really nice to be like, oh my gosh, you thought about me, it's early in the morning. I had a job where I started working at 6.30 a.m. So I'm like, yeah, it's early. <laughs> like, 
And I'm like, you thought about me? That's so sweet. That's so nice. And then I turn around. That was cute for a week. And that was cute maybe for two weeks. And over time, I was like, you're annoying me. <laughs> like, what do you want? <laughs> the answer is the same. Like, I work Monday through Friday. If you text me at 7 o'clock a.m. Monday through Friday, your answer is going to be the same every single time. Work. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm at work. <laughs> I mean, unless you want to play by, I'm currently pulling this binder out of the cabinet so this kid can sign out their cell phone before they go to school. Like, I am working. <laughs> Why did it become annoying? Because it never went any deeper than that. Stay on the surface. What does that look like when you come into the house of God? Remember, we're talking about discipleship. That is this. If you walk in every week and people go, good morning, how are you? I'm good. And you proceed to your seat. And then on your way out, man, thank you so much. Okay, great. Now you did that one Sunday and maybe it's your very first week and you're like, I don't know these people and I'm just going to fill them out. But now you're into week 10 and that's still the rhythm. Yeah. Somebody's going to get annoyed. Right? Because you're going to be like, what is keeping me here? Why am I coming? Why show up if we're not going to engage? Why send the text if you're not going to engage past the one question? Because you imagine Jesus being right in front of us and the only thing we'd have to say to him, the only thing we'd want to engage with him is, hi, how are you? Can I get you some water? Okay. <laughs> Our lives are falling apart. Our marriages are falling apart. We're confused about what to do in life. He's the answer literally sitting in the room and all we're willing to do is say hi. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a very good place to be. I mean, you may not be like me. Maybe you wouldn't get annoyed. Maybe you'd be like, let's keep this going. But I promise you, I think a lot of us get frustrated in life in general because we get to a point where our life is autopilot and there is no real relationship. It just doesn't exist anymore. And so we search for things outside of people, outside of ourselves, to try to alter that when all we really have to do is turn in to one another and get a little bit honest, and get a little bit vulnerable, and truthfully answer questions. You know, because everybody's not good every day, all the time. So, you know, it looks like when someone says, hey, how are you doing? You know, it was a really tough week, but thank you for asking. Thank you for seeing me. And it looks like in that space, if somebody's like taking the time then to hear them, you know? <laughs> so when they say it wasn't really good, hey, could you, do you feel like talking about it? Can we sit down and really talk about how you're doing? Oh, dang. Some of us are like, nope, I don't have time for that. I got to breeze through the office door and say, hi, 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 hi. They feel loved, but I got to get to work. Our most important thing as Jesus followers is our relationships. And we have to be willing to go deeper. And so with that, I would say this, as we become discipled and we're making disciples, we must get beyond the surface. Um, we need to get real about the truth um, in our lives and, when, and within another person. And one of the ways this occurs is through asking questions and being open to being asked questions. So there's two things, and I know I'm going to say it again because it sounds weird. We have to be willing to be asked questions. Like, it has to be okay for people to go, hey, what's going on? Or, hey, I saw you did this. Do you mind explaining to me why you got in the car from the, the left side instead of the right side? <laughs> or, I saw you did this. Can you tell me? Like, how did you make the coffee? We got to be okay with questions. And then we have to be also okay with asking them. 
And so a couple of scriptures that kind of show this in the context of discipleship is Matthew 13, 36. And then um, the next one we're going to look at is Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 3. And so right here it says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Please explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. So I'm going to back up and you're going to be like, we didn't read anything about parables and weeds and fields. So I don't know what they're talking about. Right before this, right before this question, Jesus was addressing a crowd of people. He was teaching and he taught in parables. So he actually went over three specific ones, but one particular that he started off with was the parable of the weeds. And so he is talking parables. For those of you who don't know, they're like stories with a moral point or like end rate that mirrored or reflected something that was currently happening in society or a principle that he wanted them to learn. And he usually did it in story form. If you grew up in any form of literature that you would think of like a fable, like Aesop's fables or any of those things that you might read your kids at bedtime, like you want them to be good people, you want them not to rush by. So like think tortoise and the hare or all these other things. So Jesus spoke in parables a lot of times in teaching. And so with this particular parable, it actually starts in verse 24 of chapter 13. And he starts to say, hey, there was a sower that goes out in the field, and while he, he planted good seed in the ground. And then while he went to sleep that night, there was an enemy that came, and they planted weeds. And so the, the, serv- the farmer's servants find out, like, there's weeds in the field, and they're like, yo, what do you want us to do? He wants to go pull up all the weeds. <laughs> and the farmer's like, no, let them grow together. And then at the time of harvesting, we will pull up all the weeds first, bind them up to be burned, and then we will gather all the grain and all the wheat into the barn ourselves. And so this is the story that Jesus is telling. And so the disciples, his close people, heard him tell this story, but they didn't understand it. And so instead of interrupting him while he was in the middle, because he goes from that parable on to the next, um, and then he goes on to another one. And so he talks about the mustard seed, then he talks about um, while he was talking in parables. And so the Bible kind of has this commentary exchange, but then it says this, it says, then they left the crowd and they went into the house. So this would kind of be that focus time again that Jerome talked about last week. Jesus is doing his thing. The disciples are right there with them. They see everything. But when they went back into the house, they started to ask questions. Um, do you mind explaining that one? And Jesus, now when the disciples asked, he, Jesus didn't look at them and say, well, you should have got it when everybody else got it. <laughs> he did not get an attitude. He did not go like, no, I don't have time for that. I'm tired. <laughs> he sat down and he explained to them what it meant. He told them. He took them back through it. And he said, this is the sower and this is this. The, the evil one here that planted the weeds is this. This represents that. This represents that. And he explained to them the parable that he had given in a setting much like this one. Well, there's way more people there. Like when Jesus spoke, there was, it says multitudes <laughs> and crowds. So we're a crowd today. So it was Jesus. It was coming down from a place like this and then sitting intimately with his disciples explaining because they had a question. Could you imagine if Jesus would have got an attitude over the question? Now, maybe this is not convicting to anyone else, but this is a little convicting to me. Because when I like to go home, I just want to go to sleep. Like, I just want to relax. <laughs> like, if it's been a long day, I'm like, I don't want any questions. But if I'm honest and I look at this, the challenge is, is I have to be open to questions regardless. And I have to be willing to lovingly answer them and explain them. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, similar situation, um, but this one, it says that Jesus is 
talking to his disciples. And so we're at the book of Acts now. So where we are um, in timeline, Jesus has died. He's been crucified. He has risen again. He has shown himself to his disciples. He's been talking to them. And so he says this to them, and he says he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. I feel like we went a little too far. Hold on. See, this is why we just keep real Bibles right here next to me. Um, <laughs> verse 3, verse 6, okay. And maybe I just started earlier. Sorry, it's probably my fault, guys. It's all good. It's always my fault. So... Um, but anyway, so he tells them all this stuff. So yes, he gave them this command to wait in Jerusalem, a gift of my father promised to just speak to you. But the part I want to highlight here is um, verse 6. Yes, we're getting there. Okay, yeah, I just f- forgot I was as long as it was. Sorry, guys, this on me. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> For John baptized with water, but in a few days we'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him. So Jesus is giving like final declarations. Anybody, parents in the room? You're about to go to work, and you need your kids to know just a few things that you want them to do while you are gone. This is kind of Jesus talking to them. He's like, look, I'm about to go, (laughs) but this is what I need you to know. You need to stay here. So in my house, it went like this. Stay in this house. Do not open that door for anybody. Those chores better be done before you start watching those cartoons on TV, and make sure that you um, you feed your your sister's lunch. I have two younger sisters (laughs) younger than me. So it might sound something like that. Well, Jesus is giving these instructions to his disciples. Sorry, I botched them a little earlier, but you can read them again. Um, and then he tells them, as he's telling them that, he says, but um, they asked a question. Now, if you're a parent ever trying to run out the door for work or be on to the next thing, you're not really ready for questions. We already covered that. <laughs> he said, they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, you would think by now, like Jesus has died, he has bled, they have buried him, they have mourned, that he's, ris- he's resurrected. You would think like this is not on their mind, but it still was. <laughs> so it's kind of like your kid going, but um, are we still going to get allowance on Friday? <laughs> You're like, look, I just want to know, like that's important to me. <laughs> um, and Jesus' answer is this. He said, it is not for you to know, and this is actually verse 7. Um, he said, but... He said, sorry, let me find it here. He said, is not, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. And then he continues with what he was saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. (laughs) And so even here, I, I wanted this verse because it shows the first time Jesus sits down and he goes top to bottom, he explains everything. And this time his answer was a little more not thorough. Like he didn't stop and go like, okay, let me tell you this again. This is not like you're, you're still looking for the Savior, for the kingdom, for this to happen in a way that you dreamt of your whole entire life. But yeah, I came as a baby. This is not the way God initially planned it. This is, this is what he had in store. It's in relationships. It's through this. It's by loving people. It's by serving people. It's not by me coming and saying, boot, you're out, and here we go with a brand new regime. And so he tells him, he's like, look, let me help you. He still answered them, though. It's just not for you to know. He says, not for you to know this, and this is a time that's fixed by the, by the Lord's own timing. He's like, it's the, God knows what's going to happen next. He's like, this is what I need you to do. Be present here. Do this now. And so with that, I just want to say, in these examples, and there's several more, I really did not give you all of them, um, where Jesus just goes deeper with them, where he doesn't let it say surface. There's times where he responds to the thoughts and the intents in their heart, words that they haven't even verbalized yet. 
Like he gets to the point, he's like, no, I, like he got to that place where, and if you've been married for a long time or you've raised kids, you might know this. Like your kid doesn't have to tell you when they're sad. You can just tell by the way they walked in the house that something's wrong. Now you, you want to know, right? Well, hopefully you want to know. But sometimes they don't even have to say anything for you. But the next question then usually is like, hey, how was your day? What's going on? Look, this thing does not want to stay still. <laughs> uh, no, I think what we're, we're going to make it work. <laughs> but sorry if I'm fidgeting too much for you. Um, but he just, he like, he gets to this point. So this is the relationship he had. This is the relational equity he had with his disciples. And so now you're going to be like, dang, we've already looked at two scriptures. We have, we're going for one more, um, you know, one for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Ghost. Let's go over to Mark chapter 7. <laughs> And so with this, um, questions and answers, as you're flipping, um, we're going to get there. So um, this is the next slide that I have for you. It just says this. When we're asking questions, let's listen actively. Jesus didn't really have this problem, but us in our human state, we have this problem. Like, we like to ask questions, and we're already working on our response. We're not listening for what the person actually said to us. If they were to ask us, hey, what did I say? Oh, yeah, you you said something like... (laughs) But we're already ready. We're already ready for how we're going to fix it, what we're going to tell you, all of that. No, no, no. As Jesus followers, as disciple makers, we need to be skilled in asking questions, but we need to be ready to actively listen. We need to invite Holy Spirit in that space for him to tell us what our response should be, not just our emotions and our past experience. Well, you know, when I went to that fries, they gypped me $5, so I just never go to that fries again. Okay, so somebody made a mistake and you just, you just never went back? Okay. And so you're telling me not to go because, well, I mean, I've been to that fries a million times and they were fine. But a lot of us, we just shoot off our answers without carefully even considering what's being asked, what's being communicated. And so we want to be active listeners in that process. And then the next part to that is that we want to be, when we answer questions, we want to do so truthfully. And so the other part to that is like, we know Jesus was God in the flesh. And so he had this ability to, to tell the truth and answer things. And for some of us, that is a challenge. Like, because we're still being discipled. We are still being transformed. We are still being made like him. And so the challenge to us is this, is that when we, when we answer something, when we're asked something, that we'd answer with the truth. And here's our biggest thing, like we do this a lot, and social media does not help, is we like to give the highlights, not the truth. Yeah, I'm just going to let that sit in for a second. (laughs) It's okay. You can say, ouch. I'll say it for you. Ouch. We like to give the highlights. Oh, how's your marriage? It's awesome. It's good. No, you know you were just yelling and screaming in the car, acting a whole mess. Man, how is raising your kids? Oh, man, it's been perfect. You know you just scrubbed, like, poop off the back of the toilet for the 20th time, and you're like, I still don't understand. Like, I don't comprehend how your little booty misses the big hole. (laughs) Oh, it's great. They're awesome. (laughs) And the thing is, is as we're transformed to be like Jesus, as we're on this journey to be like Jesus, here is the thing. God, our Father, gives us the perfect example in his word. This Bible, this book, it's not just the highlights. 
Can I tell you how many times we read in here where we messed up, we did not choose correctly, where we did not listen, we did not obey? But it makes the grace and the hope and the reason for a Savior, it makes all of that worth it. Because if all we had were highlights, we'd be like, well, then why do I need you? So when we can truthfully enter into dialogue, and I am not talking with the stranger outside. Remember, in context of discipleship, within places where you have relational equity, then you can go, hey, yeah, I love being married, but hear me when I say, today they stressed every nerve I have and the ones I didn't know existed. Pray for me. (laughs) My kids are driving me up a wall. And it's amazing when somebody is able to voice that or ask questions in that space, how God gives wisdom, and then back at you comes a good godly answer, which equals relationship, two-way streets that don't just stop at high and by. So, Lord, help us. Second half, (laughs) once we go deeper, (laughs) we are then called to care enough to confront. (laughs) You're like, huh? Well, let me help you. Our world today, these last two years, if they have taught us nothing, is that we can be really good or really bad when it comes to confronting things. We live in a culture right now that tells us, well, if it's in your head, it should come out of your mouth. And if it is in the power of your keyboard or your perfectly strengthened texting thumbs, that you have the right to say it. And then if we're here in America, we go off of the, because we have the freedom of speech. I would tell you that as Jesus followers, that's a little dangerous. We are called to be mouthpieces of heaven. We are called to echo what God is saying. And so, That does not mean we get to be passive and we get to say, like, I don't ever have to say anything. But it does mean that as we confront different things, there first needs to be this thing in us called compassion. There needs to be some humility. There needs to be an overwhelming amount of love. It's okay. Because all I'm really saying is there needs to be Jesus. We need to see him. We need to have conversed with him. We need to have spent time with him. We need to have asked him, what am I supposed to say to this? What words would you like to give me for this? How does that need to be conveyed? Some things need to be done over coffee and in a a direct conversation, not over an email. Some things it's not good enough to say, well, I sent them an apology card. No, they they actually need to see your face. But it is a skill, and it is not a band-aid. This is not a one-size-fits-all solution. And we see this with Christ. And so this is not as serious, and I feel like the room is like, but it's probably because it's the world we live in. (laughs) And we're feeling that right now. We're like, oh, dang, like, oops. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is the convictor, not me. And so if he's massaging something in you or he's bringing your attention to something, it's okay, just lean into it. It hurts less when you go with him. You want to fight him on it? I promise he's still going to win and you might come out with like a dislocated hip. 
If you know your Old Testament, you know who I'm talking about. So Mark chapter 7, it goes like this. Um, and we're going to focus kind of on the end. I don't know if the whole thing is there or not, but I'm just going to try to read it. Sorry if I go too fast, but it's in your notes. So, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. I'm also reading from the ESV, so I think that's NIV. It's okay. <laughs> for the Pharisees and all the Jews who do not eat, so it says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the, to the tradition of the elders. Slow down. And when, they come, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they are min, then there are many other traditions they observe, such as washing of the cups, pots, copper vessels, dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the, to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, now, let me just summarize this. Anybody have a rule in your house that before you sit down at the kitchen table, you need to go wash your hands? My, I have a niece who's two and a half. She's actually back there with her mom. I've been telling her lately, I'm like, oh, your hands are a little grubby. I need you to go wash your hands. She comes in from preschool. She's ready diving for snacks. Like washing hands is important. That's kind of this rule on steroids, okay? They're like, you're not, not, we wash hands. We wash the couch. Like, does anybody in here wash the couch before they eat? No? Okay. So the Pharisees, like, they had all of these traditions. And so Mark takes a minute to explain so the main problem is, is Jesus' disciples are going for a meal and they begin to eat, but they didn't wash their hands. That is really the premise of this conversation. <laughs> All right, let's pick this up again. Um, so they asked Jesus, but why didn't they wash their hands? And so Jesus has an answer. See, there's a question. Jesus is ready to answer. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? <laughs> oh, dang, that's probably not the answer they wanted. It's okay. <laughs> And he says this, as it is written, this, this, peop, the, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Uh-oh. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your traditions. For Moses said, honor your mother and father, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So um, let me summarize Jesus's response. He's like, you're worried about their hands, but I'm pretty sure one of the prophets was talking about you. He said, because you washed your hands, but you got a whole lot of stuff going on and you're saying it's in my name. You're saying you're doing it to honor me and to follow me. He's like, but really you're just elevating the traditions of man over what I've asked you to do in the first place. So again, I don't think they were quite, that's not really what they were going for. I think they wanted Jesus to side with them. So like your intent behind your questions, just be ready because the truth can hurt sometimes, but it's also so freeing and so liberating. And, and when we look at Jesus, he does, not, he does not hold back in giving it. And so they continue this conversation. So this is what Jesus says to them. Now, we see this again. He says, and he called the people to him again, and he said to them, hear me, all of you, understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then he, and when he had entered the house. So his last statement to the crowd of people 
is, hey, there is nothing that comes from outside of you that can defile you. It's the stuff that comes within, from within you that will defile you. He goes into the house, and we're at verse 17, and he said to them, then are you also without under... Oh, his disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, uh, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and then is expelled? And, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, theft murder, adultery, coveting, witch, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, and evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and they defile a person. Now, we could sit here and have a whole lesson on all that and everything Jesus has said. But for today, when we are caring enough to confront, Jesus was in a situation where he was asked a question in a public setting. And because he was a rabbi, because he was a teacher, he spoke into that public setting a correction. He said, you're trying to trip me up because they have dirty hands. He's like, and I want to deal with your dirty heart. Now, understand this. Jesus didn't look at the Pharisees and say, get away from me. He told them the truth and he kept it moving. He didn't argue with them. He didn't have to debate them back and forth and with PowerPoint slides and ready fingers. And you commented and I commented and I got a... It wasn't a battle for the last word. He said what he needed to say using the wisdom of God, his own wisdom, and he addressed their hearts. He didn't even wait to see if they were going to agree with him. He said what he needed to say. He moved on. Now it's in that context again of going deeper. See, now the disciples, we've already looked at a couple examples. They're okay asking questions now. <laughs> so they asked Jesus like, yo, uh, you want to explain that? <laughs> and so Jesus explains to them further. He drills down with his followers. He wasn't trying to convince the world. He wasn't going after the servant girl in the corner who was told to go fetch water and just happened to walk in to an uncomfortable situation. He wasn't dragging her in her room talking about, let me tell you about your heart. It's filthy and da-da-da and we need to clean it up. That's not what he did. <laughs> he went deeper with the ones he walked with. What does that look like for us, FCC? What does that look like right here? That means in your connection group, as you're coming together, as you're getting to know people, yes, as you build relational equity, Kathleen might look at me and say, you know what? You were really rude to that person. That's not okay. And it is her right. But it should not come from a place of I'm going to show her, I'm going to teach her. I listen in your notes like several times where God confronts. And one of the things I say, and, it's, and I say several, but it's really like four. But there are all throughout scripture. Like, I just really want you to see this. And the first two I listed are both in the book of Genesis, and it shows God confronting people. He confronts Adam after the, the fruit was bitten from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, when God said, don't do that, and then Adam did it. But I want you to, to when you read, read these stories, because we don't have time. Like, I would love to go through all of them with you and really pull this apart. But when God shows up in the garden after they ate of the tree they weren't supposed to, God didn't show up with condemnation. 
He doesn't show up talking about, you idiot, how could you, blah, blah, blah. Like, that was not on his heart. He showed up, number one, with a question. Adam, where are you? He was still keeping his rhythm. He still showed up for their daily, their appointment. And then from that question, they dealt in and leaned into the mistake that was made. And here's the, spoiler alert, after the punishment, after the conversation, God didn't say, and because of that, I can no longer associate with you. Peace, Adam. Dang it. They stayed in relationship. The Bible doesn't tell us that specifically, but how do we know this? Like, I can give you this proof. The next one that we wrote there is Cain and Abel. Well, how would Cain and Abel know who God is if Adam and Eve didn't keep a relationship with them? See, there's some people in your life that you cut off and your kids have no clue who they are, right? Because when we cut people off, like they're out. (laughs) So you're not talking about them. You're not telling stories about them. You're not saying like, oh, this is what so-and-so really likes or this is something that makes them smile. No, no, you do that for people that you're in relationship with. But when you've given them the boot, (laughs) nah, you don't don't know me, I don't know you. Like, we're strangers. (laughs) God didn't do that. So he stays in relationship with Adam and Eve, so much so that their kids knew him. Then Cain goes off and decides to kill his brother, and he really followed through and did it, even though God warned him. So there's another confrontation. God shows up again in that confrontation with a question. And this is why I say that if God can show up knowing everything and still ask questions, there might be something to it for those of us who don't know everything. But questions get asked in context of relationship. People are not really trying to ask you questions when you're in the grocery store unless they're like, excuse me, can I just get to that last can of tomato sauce? But outside of the Holy Spirit, somebody drawing, like, come on, think about your life. When do you get asked a question by someone who is literally a complete stranger to you? They know you in some context. They work with you. They live with you. They work out with you. Unless that question is a simple, hi, how are you doing? And so I just want you to see that. And so the couple other examples, I gave Job as an example on there. He's a really good one. And then some of my favorites, because it's easy for us to go, well, God confronts us, but he's God and he knows everything and he's perfect and he never messes up. So yeah, well, I also gave you two examples in your notes of people confronting each other. And so you have Samuel and Saul. So Saul was the first king of the nation of Israel. Samuel was the prophet at the time. And then you also have David and Nathan. If you have not read those stories, please read them. I think David and Nathan is like the best confrontation story of all time. Um, I probably like it a little too much. God is still working on my heart. But in that context, David has sinned with Bathsheba. He does all this stuff. He has Uriah killed. God's response is he sends Nathan. So Nathan and David have relationship. The king and the prophet of the land, they are not strangers to each other. They both hold position and they both represent Israel. One as the mouthpiece from heaven, the other one as the carrier out of the laws and the statutes of the Lord. So in this position, one of them messed up. David has the responsibility to, or Nathan gets the responsibility to go talk to David. Nathan shows up, 
a lot like Jesus did with a story. (laughs) Nathan tells this whole story. It's a really great story. I wish I could tell you today, but I can't. So (laughs) he tells this great story. And at the end of it, guess what he does? Ask a question. Yes. (laughs) He's like, what should happen? (laughs) David gives his judgment. He gives this decree. He's like, this is what needs to happen. And then this is where I just feel like is one of the most like, yeah, God is working on my heart. See, I'm too happy about it. Because Nathan then goes, he's like, the man is you. Dun, dun, dun. Like, oh, cliffhanger. It'd be a great movie. <laughs> if somebody wants to write that, do it. But this, is the, but this is the context. But what I want you to see is when you look at these things, that Jesus is not doing anything that God didn't already do. And as Jesus followers, we are not called to do anything that Jesus didn't do. Does that make sense? We're becoming like him. So if Jesus wouldn't be standing on a soapbox condemning them to hell, and he doesn't even know their names, I'm pretty sure that's not our job. And I just know that because it's him. Two, in all of those cases I just mentioned, and you look back, and Job is the last one, if you know anything about Job, like he goes through a whole whirlwind with God. And there's questions back and forth, Job questioning God, God questioning him, Job's friends questioning Job. Like there's just questions all over the place. But it is a beautiful picture of relationship and restoration and hope. And at the end of all of it, this is what I want you to see, of all of those examples, even here with Jesus, his disciples, and the Pharisees in Mark 7, at the end of the confrontation, it's not deuces, I'm not talking to you anymore, unfriend, block, delete. It's not that. They keep walking together. They keep talking together. They're on to the next town. They're on to the next city. They're on to the next parable. God is still in relationship with Adam. Nathan and David are still in relationship with each other as it relates to their positions in the kingdom. They're still together. It's relational. It's family. It's not a divide. And I had this all nicely, neatly put together, but we're going to wrap it up here. And it's just this. I'll leave you kind of with this thought. If you are so hype about confronting someone, I would implore you to confront yourself first. Meaning this, look in this book, look at Jesus, and let it be a true mirror back to you. What is in my heart? If the answer is not love, compassion, mercy, grace, like patience, long-suffering, if it does not boil back to the Holy Spirit, to his fruit, to being obedient to God, then that is where you stop. Don't say nothing else. Delete the text, remove the post, apologize. And if you can't get an apology out without wanting to go further, just walk away. Because it's those confrontations that come out of us wanting to be right, us wanting to prove something that's pride and arrogance and all of that, that is not beneficial to the kingdom of God. And so because we are not perfect, we are not God wrapped in the flesh, we are houses of the Holy Spirit and he is continually working on us and growing us and maturing us and making us into him, his image. But in my flawed state, I could very much come out guns blazing, bloop, 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 bloop. And then God's going to be like, what did you do? And I'm going to have bodies to clean up. And if we're honest, 
We have seen so much of that in our community and in our nation and in our world lately. I love Jesus. But I didn't even ask your name as you were bringing me my food at the restaurant. But I can tell you about your tattoos and what you should be doing with your life. I don't think that's how it was supposed to be. So, um, yeah, Lord. <laughs> the next thing is, is when we confront ourselves first, we are then able to care enough to confront others. And so it is a mantra in my life. My friends that are very close to me know this about me. Um, there are two things I cannot stand. One is being lied to. Like, I absolutely detest being lied to. It's like the worst thing you could probably ever do. If you messed up, just say you messed up. If you feel a certain way, say you feel a certain way. Don't lie to me. Number two is I will tell you this in a heartbeat. You cannot say you love me and watch me destroy my life. If I'm outside, if I, if I am lost my mind and I'm walking into the middle of 7th Avenue and there's oncoming traffic, if you would let me get hit by a car, but you literally just said I love you in this space, I will look you in your face as I recover in the hospital with the grace of God and be like, you do not love me. And then it will probably be followed up, don't ever lie to me again. <laughs> See, Jesus being moved with compassion did miracles and did things. Out of his love for us, he came in this earth to teach us and to straighten us out and to give us the proper understanding. See, confrontation based on anything else but the love of God is just cruel. It's abuse. Abnormal use. Abuse. But if you love me, then you'd be willing to confront me. Why are you walking in the middle of the street right now? Where'd all your clothes go? <laughs> like, right? Look, if I come out the bathroom with toilet paper down the... Uh, are you okay? Did you lose a fight in there? Like, let me help you. How can I serve you? Like, you love me enough that you don't want me to be embarrassed or you don't want me to misrepresent our Father. It's a together thing. It's a family thing. It's not to make you look good. It's not for me to fit in your box and your construct of who you think I should be. But it's to say, look, we see God too much in you to let you continue to live your life this way. And it's breaking his heart and it's killing you. So that's kind of my thought. We were going to do some sharing time. Um, we're going to take like real fast, get with the people around you. And I just want you to say like what your big takeaway from today is. Thanks everybody for tuning in with us today. Stay tuned for more content coming soon. Have a blessed day.